0: Hi, this is Ben Zorns with Ellerslie Mission Society. This message by Pastor Eric Ludi is entitled The Gospel Soleil. In the Protestant Reformation, the men of God declared five soleil, or onlys, which the church must stand upon. Indeed, the church in every generation needs to be often reminded what it is that we're standing for. We must stand for the sole of the gospel, which is ultimately standing for Jesus Christ alone. Please contact us at www.ellersley.com. Now here's Pastor Eric Lutie.
1: There's certain messages that I'm just so excited to get up and bellow out. This one's one that my legs sort of tremble and uh, that mousy part of me just sort of wants to find a chair and hide under it and just give me a microphone and I'll still still want to share it, there's still a burden, but uh, it's a hard message to know how to communicate, and I think what I've been praying and asking God for is the ability to articulate what burdens me, I know burdens many of you, and that is we see the gospel and it's clear, and then we begin to move in and amongst the church of Jesus Christ today, and everything just gets blurry all over again. Why is it that it's so hard to stay fixed on what we know is the center? Because the moment you feel you have the center, and you've got Jesus and that cross figured out, is the moment that someone comes up over here and says, but did you know that if you don't have this, you really don't have Jesus? And so then you start focusing over here going, oh, is that true? Then someone over here goes, hey, uh, you know, I don't know about what that guy's saying, but did you know? You see, it's Christianity plus something else. It's Jesus the cross, sure. Yeah, we're not going to throw that out. That's, that's fine, Eric. Could you, but you're not covering this, and you're not covering this, and you're not covering this, and you're not covering this. And what's interesting is the this, the this, the this, and the this are all true. So how do you not kick those other things in the teeth to effectively administer... The reality that, but this is how you solve that, 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 and that. These things are a part of something bigger. But when you take them out and just have them over here and fan them into flame to be bigger than they're supposed to be, then suddenly the whole system doesn't work. So yes, this is one of those messages. I think I'm getting a reputation for messages along this line, so I might as well continue the message. I, one of the visitors today called me infamous before uh, he came in. He said, yeah, that's, I'm infamous for these messages, is what I am. So I'm going to keep my reputation intact. The gospel sole. I know the word Sole is probably not a familiar one, but that's what the message is. And you'll actually probably know more about that word than you realize right now. It's just not a word that we use. It's a Latin word, and that's why. But it's also a plural Latin word, which is another reason why you may not recognize it. Okay? But the gospel sole. I almost named this message this, knowing Jesus from Adam. You ever heard the statement, I don't know him from Adam? That means you, don't really, you wouldn't recognize someone if he came in. It's like, well, you need to be looking out for Bill. I wouldn't know Bill from Adam. Well, there is someone you better know from Adam, and that's Jesus. You see, there are two men. One is Adam and one is Jesus. And if you get the two mixed up, the whole thing called Christianity goes down the toilet. So, just as a framework, only one of them can save. Make sure you know which one. Now, I bet if I took a poll in here, a little quick quiz, you'd probably get the answer correct, though. You see, most of us in Christianity know, of course, it's Jesus that saves. Well, then how come your Christianity doesn't align with that fact? Why is it that you keep going back to Adam to find salvation? You see, Christianity is actually very clear on the point that there's a denouncement of judgment upon Adam. He can't do it. And we're like, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh. Only Jesus can. And we're like, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh. And then we go to Adam and say, how could you help me? Could you help me sort of navigate this thing called Christianity? How can we sort of make a pact and we can show God that we can do it? We don't really need the cross. We just esteem it It's a good example, Jesus. Now I'm going to try and do it too. We do it all the time, by the way, but we need to know Jesus from Adam. Sola, there's our word. Remember the name of the the message was the gospel sole, which I really like. There's something poetic about that. But sola is the individual uh, term, the singular term, and that's actually what it means, too. It means singular. Sola means all alone. So we know the term solo, to go at it solo, uh, like Han Solo was all alone. He was like the renegade guy. I don't need any help. It's just me and Chewie. We're solo. Uh, and there's a there's a male version of it and there's a female version. The female is sola. And just for the sake of ease today, I'm going to use the word sola so we don't get it mixed up with Han Solo throughout the whole message. So it means all alone, only, singularly, solitarily, with nothing else, with no one else. Sola. Exclusivity means by itself or without another. So these are the concepts. It's exclusive, which means it's It's the only one, so if it is the only one, that means that can't be it, that can't be it, that can't be it, and that can't be it either. It's sola, which means there's nothing else that can take its place. It is all alone in its position, but it's also a word that means a contradistinction. It is, that means this over here cannot be. In other words, there's only one that can be. It is sola. So when you define the sola, or we're going to say the sole, which are the onlys, When you define the only or the onlys of the gospel, suddenly Christianity begins to work. It's when you blur that and say, well, in your opinion, that's true, but I have another way of looking at that. And we end up with confusion all throughout the body of Christ. So this is the concept of soul. If this is the only answer, then this cannot be another answer. If this is the truth alone, then this cannot be truth as well. One is, and all the others are not. I, I don't know if you can catch the political incorrectness of the word sola. Oh, Eric, don't mention sola. You see, the entirety of Christianity is sola. Yeah, it doesn't translate well, I recognize this. There is only one way to the Father. And it's Jesus Christ. And if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, well, guess what? Bad news. And you're like, are you actually going to preach that, Eric? I mean, you can preach that in a church, sure. But are you actually going to go out and tell the Buddhists that? I have to. You see, it's a sola truth. And truth is truth. It's not that I came up with the truth. It's not like I have my personal brand of truth here in America. Truth is truth. I'm either on the right side of it or the wrong side of it. Truth is truth. And if the Hindu doesn't agree with the truth, then they're wrong. If the Buddhist doesn't agree with the truth, and by the way, listen to this, if the Christian doesn't agree with the truth, the Christian is wrong. The truth is truth. So if we're going to have Christianity, we better get Christianity that's in agreement with the sola, even though it be a politically incorrect version of it. Okay, I'm starting to get warmed up. The five sole. In Christian history... Some of you that have studied the Reformation would know the sole, the five sole. Those are the five solas, but you don't say solas, you say sole. Okay, it sounds like some Spanish thing. Sole! So the sole, the five sole are the five Latin phrases that emerged during the Protestant Reformation and summarize the Reformers' basic theological beliefs in contradistinction, there's our big word, to the teaching of the Roman Catholic Church of the day. So we had the Roman Catholic Church, which was going berserko. It was doing everything backwards, what the Word of God was saying. And so what the five Sole are, are directly related to the Roman Catholic Church. They're saying, look, this is true, which means this can't be true. If this is sola in the Bible, then what the Catholic Church is teaching you isn't Right? And this is a big deal back then. I mean, people died over this. However, what we oftentimes are lugging around today are the five sole from the Reformation. Instead of recognizing, those were showing a contradistinction from the Catholic Church. What we need in the church is the sole that will clarify to those that are calling themselves Christians what Christianity is. This is the only's here in Christianity. We must know what they are. We don't know who to unite with, who to divide with. We don't want to divide if we don't need to, but we also don't want to try and unify with just anyone. What do we do? What do we do with the Jehovah's Witness? What do we do with the Mormon? What do we do? How do we clarify our position? Well, I think we need to understand the gospel sole. So I'll just go through a brief overview of the five sole from history past. Sola Scriptura. Sola Scriptura. The scriptures alone are the standard. By the way, these are, these are great, excellent stuff. No other book, no other philosophy, and no other man. Hey, Pope, did you hear that? Remember, these were directed straight to the Catholic Church. Okay, so when they say sola scriptura, what they're saying is the Pope isn't the final arbiter of truth. The Bible is. Now, most of you in here may agree with that. However, this was a major battle in Christian history. And there had to come a time when someone drew a line and said, enough is enough. The Bible is the final authority. I don't know where this idea of this whole Pope thing came from, but it's gotten out of hand. Okay? It took an idea or a notion of church leadership and perverted it to the point where now the scriptures were being diminished. What you'll notice in every generation when the enemy is making his move is he's going to diminish scripture. Well, he can diminish it through a pope, or he can diminish it by criticizing it and demeaning it and stepping on it. There's two different strategies for diminishing it. Soli Deo Gloria, for the glory of God alone. I like it. Worship cannot be given to any other. Remember, this was directed to the Catholic Church. Not to Mary, not to a saint, but only to God, because Mariology was a huge thing in the Catholic Church. It might not be a huge thing for you. In fact, we as evangelicals have a tendency to diminish Mary so much that we forget that she was an amazing woman. It's like, we don't talk about Mary. Well, that doesn't help either. She's actually an amazing woman, an incredible picture of femininity. I say, let's study Mary, but we don't need to worship Mary. And so I'm all for this. This is great stuff. Solo Cristo. By Christ's work alone are we saved. There is no other work no other sacrifice no other deed no other historic event by which a man can be saved. I agree. Solo Gratia or Grazia. I tried to study the pronunciation of this Latin and I guess this is a huge debate over how you actually say it. There's probably a few in here like, "Oh, he got it." There's another option too. Yeah, I just picked two of them. So, solo gratia, salvation by grace alone. It is not by man's effort, strength, discipline, or work, but salvation is only gained through the effort, strength, discipline, and work of Jesus Christ, which is known as grace. Sola fide, justification by faith alone. There is no other means by which a man may acquire righteousness but by faith in Jesus Christ. Good old-fashioned Christianity. We just laid it out there for you. The sole of the gospel. So what I just gave you was the five sole, but that was to define the Reformed Christian Church from the Catholic Church. Okay, now those are all true, however, they don't necessarily translate perfectly to help us today in how we need to navigate, even though they still be true, how we need to navigate, how to clarify the sole that is needed to deal with what the enemy is doing in our camp today. And that's where this message comes in, the sole of the gospel. Sola, again, singular, only, one. There is one man. His name is Jesus. And you could say, well, I think there's billions upon billions of men, Eric. There's only one man that can save. One. Sola. One tree. Yeah, there's multiple trees. You know, the garden was full of trees, but there's only one tree at the one that hangs upon it, that fruit. If you do not eat that fruit, you will not live. There's only one tree that can bring you life. One event. I know there's a lot of events. There's a lot of great events. This isn't to diminish the resurrection. This isn't to diminish Pentecost. But the resurrection and Pentecost are an outflow of a singular event. And if that event doesn't take place, we don't have the resurrection, and we do not have Pentecost. And we do not have the second coming. I love those. Even though the second coming, I will love it. I love the idea of it. However... Without this one event, we don't have the others. One means, grace. One key, faith. One way, there's only one way to the Father. The garden, to the cross, to the grave, to the right hand. There's one way to the Father, and Jesus is the one that took it. One purpose, the glory of the Father. One covenant, the new covenant in his blood. You can say, I thought there were two covenants. And There's only one that will save you. First covenant reveals your need. The second covenant has the blood. It has what will save you. It has the grace. And if you have faith, you will receive that salvation. One life, the eternal life of God. You try and have life outside of God. Eh, it doesn't last. One death, Christ's death did the work. One entry, Christ entered once and for all. One righteous, there is only one that is righteous. One judgment, justice satisfied in Christ. With each one of these, for those of you that know history, you know Christianity, you know the Bible, you're going to say, there's more than one. I'm going to make a point here first. There's only one that brings about life. There's others, and we're going to talk it through. There's actually two, two renditions of each of these. One salvation, the gospel of Jesus Christ. One forgiveness, one redemption, one triumph, one exaltation. So now I'm going to introduce you to another word. This is our good Latin exercise today. Due. Isn't that neat? Sole and due. Uh, Due. Two. Okay, so it's the twos of the gospel. Now, the real and the counterfeit. The interesting thing about how the Bible works is it shows us two. And it says one cannot save, but the second can save. If you've hung around Tellersley, Ellerslie, you know the one and the two. The first one is the flesh. The second one is the spirit. But the first, the flesh, cannot save. The first is Adam. The second is Jesus. And it's only the second that can save. So, first we have to understand the due, but God is very specific. He doesn't just go through the Bible and tell you the onlys. He gives the contradistinction. He says, this is the only and we're like, the only what? Well, this is the only way of salvation, as opposed to as opposed to the way you're trying to be saved, by the law. Caught red-handed. You see, he gives you both. And then he says, that one doesn't work, this one does. But there's a do way. So we'll call this the do way of the gospel, the real and the counterfeit. Two men, Adam and Jesus. And I know that sounds like an oversimplification of billions of people, to suddenly just say two men. But it's true, there's only two men. You see, Adam, all of us are born of Adam. We come from the lineage of Adam. We are of Adam. But we must be born again. And when we are born again, we enter into a new lineage. We die to our old lineage. It's called dying to your old man or being crucified with Christ. And then we are born anew in a new lineage in Christ. You see, there's only two men. And if you don't come from the second man, oops, bad news. Two trees. There's the forbidden tree and there's the tree of life. Remember in the garden? there were two trees in the middle. One leads to death and one's called the tree of life. Well, in all of history, there are two trees. There's a tree in the garden of Eden that Adam and Eve failed at. And then there's another tree and it's called Calvary. Two beams of wood. Where do you think those beams of wood came from? A tree. That is a tree. And it's the cross. The two events, the failure, the beginning of sin, and the success, the end of sin. By the way, I'm making big the second just to sort of help you along here just in case you're trying to figure out which one's the real and which one's the counterfeit. It's always the second that is the real. Two means. Under the law, well, you could try and reach heaven under the law. Try and find your salvation, your righteousness by perfectly keeping the law. Or under grace, there's only one that works. Two keys, trusting in the perfection of our own work or works and trusting in God's work, faith. Two ways, in Adam, you could try and live in Adam, or in Christ. One works, one doesn't. Two purposes, for the glory of man and for the glory of God. Two covenants, the covenant of law or man's righteousness must be sufficient for salvation or else death. And the covenant of grace, God's righteousness equals our salvation and the result is life evermore. Two lives, life in the flesh, which is slavery, or life in the spirit, which is true liberty. Two deaths, to die in Adam, which is separation from God forever, with weeping and gnashing of teeth, or to be crucified with Christ. Two entries, have you ever tried to get into the Holy of Holies? You have to be perfect, you have to be righteous, you have to be holy. You have to be like God. And so we try, it's called legalism, which is the attempt to be approved for entry by means of our own perfection and spotlessness, or... About Christ's entry into the heavenly holy of holies with his own spotlessness as our merit. Two righteousnesses self righteousness or Christ's righteousness. The Bible's pretty clear on which one works or which one doesn't. Two judgments the great white throne when the books of the law are open for final judgment or the cross of Christ. You pick which judgment. There's one judgment that saves you, one that will condemn. If you enter into the first judgment at the cross and you allow Christ's work of judgment on sin to be the judgment on your sin, well, guess what? You are saved in the second judgment. There's one judgment that saves. When the book, cross of Christ, when the book of life was opened for additions, hey, I'm looking for, uh, to add some people to the book of life to spare those who believe from the wrath that is to come. So the sole and the due of the gospel. So now you're familiar with the word sole, singular, alone, all alone, exclusive. And due, the two. So we have the sole and the due of the gospel. Two men. One man is earthy and one man is heavenly. Only one man saves. So what could we say? Sola Jesus. Now technically, since it's a male, it should be solo Jesus. But remember, I'm trying to keep this consistent. So even if my Latin isn't perfect, I'm mixing English and Latin here. So for all of you scholars in here that are going to be like disgusted, just, you know, offer some grace here. Sola Jesus. Two trees: eat from the first tree and you die; eat from the second tree and you will live. Only one tree saves. Solo, sola cross. Two events: the garden choice, man rebels and dies and all hell breaks loose; or the cross decision, man believes and lives and all heaven breaks loose. Only the work of Christ can save. Sola Christ crucified. I even added a little Latin uh, to my Christ. Sola Christ crucified. Two means, by the way, for those of you that speak Latin, you're like, that isn't Latin, Eric. I don't know what that is. Two means. The law was given to reveal sin in its control. Grace was given that we might overcome sin and come under God's control. Only grace works. Sola grace. Two tools. It is not by our own works of righteousness that we can be saved, but by faith in his work of righteousness. Only faith can secure the righteousness of God. Sola faith. Two ways. If a man remains clothed in his old man, he cannot access the grace of God. It's being clothed in Christ that opens up the treasury of heaven. The inheritance is only found in Christ. Sola in Christ. Two purposes. If the end of man is his own pleasure, his own glory, and then then his own death, then his end is death. But if the end of man is God's pleasure, God's glory, then his end is life abundant. God's glory alone must be our drive. Sola God's glory. Two covenants. If a man attempts to abide by the covenant of law, he will know his sin but not know his Savior. If a man enters the covenant of grace, he will know salvation, for he will know his Savior from his sin. Only the covenant in his blood can work eternal redemption. Sola, new covenant. And just to add some of the others, Sola, Christ's blood. So only Christ's blood can supply life. Sola, Christ's sufferings. Only Christ's sufferings can prove the death to the old man. Sola Christ's high priesthood. Only Christ's high high priesthood can bring us in through the veil. Sola Christ's righteousness. Only Christ's righteousness is welcomed into the throne room of grace. And sola Christ's intercession. Only Christ's intercession is sufficient to satisfy all justice and do acquit and atone. So in a very simple summary, God rejects the first and only accepts the second. Now, most of you probably know what I've covered so far. However, the key is that this become practical in our life. You have to begin to recognize: Are you living according to the Sole of the Gospel? Do you reason according to the Sole of the Gospel? Do you function practically in your life according to the Sole of the Gospel? There is only one means. So, if you are going over here and saying, "Well, yeah, I have Christ, but I also feel that you have to do this," that's not Sole. Sole is awkward at a certain point because it seems like it's too simple To say that this is what saves this is only what saves does not mean Or is not a neglect of the fact that there are other things that flow out of that It's like if there is a spring of water at the top of a high mountain That's where you need to say that's where the spring is However, guess what that spring will turn into rivers and course down that mountain And feed the valleys it doesn't mean that the valleys need to be dry and need to have no life in them. No, they should, and this should be the territory that surrounds that mountain that has a spring coming out of its cap. You see, these rivers are the truth, but it all flows from a singular fountain. And if we think that that fountain down there in the valley is a source of life, and we drink from it, it's a poisoned water hole. There is one fountain, one source, one life, and if you turn anywhere else to find it, You die. So God rejects the first and only accepts the second. The sola is the second. The only one, the exclusive one, the singular answer is always the second. Isn't that interesting? The entire scriptures are built on this principle. The entire framework, and I'll go through it right here. The first man is condemned. The second man is salvation. Adam is condemned. The second man, Jesus, is salvation. The first man is rejected. The second man is elected. The first man is dirty, soiled, and sinful. The second man is without sin, without spot, and perfectly righteous. The first man is unlike God. The second man is the Son of God. The first man is eternally cut off from the sacred, holy presence. The second man is brought near unto the throne of grace. The first man is earthy, bearing the image of the earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven, bearing the image of God. The first man is the fool, the second man is wisdom. The first man is under wrath, the second man is justified before the law. The first man is self-effort, the second man is God-effort. The first man is Cain, the second man is Abel. Which offering did God accept? The offering of the second, the offering of the younger. The first man is Ishmael, the second man is Isaac. Which one could carry the inheritance? Which was the promise? Which was the one that represented the seed, which was Jesus? It was the second. It was Isaac. The first man is Esau. The second man is Jacob. There were twins in the womb of Rebekah. And they were at war with each other. You see, the first and the second are always at enmity with each other. They always are fighting with each other. They're against each other. The same with that which was within Rebekah's womb. And God said, there's two manner of people within your womb. Two nations within your womb. Two kingdoms. What a strange statement. And it says... The elder, or Esau, will serve the younger. The younger, Jacob, or Israel, will rule. The second is truly the king of kings. The second is always a picture of Jesus. The second man is Jacob, or Israel. The first man is King Saul. Who's the first king of Israel? Saul, who's the second. The second one is called the better man, the one after God's own heart, the one that actually can decapitate the giant. The first man... Saul has proven 40 days in the Valley of Elah as Goliath boasts that he doesn't have what it takes to actually save the nation of Israel. And just like your flesh, your firstborn life, your old man cannot save you. You can try and discipline your life. You can attempt to live pure. You can attempt to control your thoughts. You can attempt to control your tongue. You can't do it. The first man is not able, is not equipped to do it. The first man is under sentence of judgment. And God is appealing, saying, you must let the first die so that the second can live. Unless you give up your first life, you cannot find life. You must allow your first life to fall into the ground and die and be buried and seen no more. And, of course, how to do that is what's known as the gospel. The first man is under law. The second man is under grace. The first man is Adam. The second man is Jesus. So the principle of the gospel, salvation is not in the first man, that's known as the body of death. The body of death cannot please God, it cannot achieve righteousness, it cannot arrive and enter into the holy of holy places. And anything, as I like to use as my illustration, if I have a clean house and I'm walking through my house one day and I find trash, what am I going to do with that trash? I'm going to pick it up, stick it in a special compartment in the house known as the trash can. I have a special place reserved for judgment on trash. Trash, you don't belong in my house. This is a house that is meant to be pure. And so I will stick it in the trash, and when the day comes, I will take it into the outer trash, outer darkness. And it will go out to the street corner and be carried away. Okay, so the same is true with this body of death. You see, when we agree with the devil, you see, there was a place made for the devil known as the trash can. Hades, hell. You see, it's a separation. It's called darkness. You belong here. And then when we side with the devil, we actually are in the trash can with him. But God never intended to stick us there. So he's like, ah, wait a minute here. The sin that you're lugging around needs to go in the trash can. However, you're not supposed to be there with it. And so he made a way for us to get out of that trash can and back into the house but you try and get out of that trash can in your own strength, your own wit, your own willpower, you try and get the trash off of you, the stink of it off of you, you can't do it. You need the second man. Salvation is only in the second man. It's called the body of Christ. You see, if you're the body of death still, you die and you get taken out with the trash. But if you're the body of Christ, well, the body of Christ is able to enter into the holy of holies. Remember, there's only one entry and that's him. But what if you're inside of him? See, there's only one death, and that's his death. There's technically only one resurrection. That's his resurrection. However, if you're in him, you share in it. You actually have his life. And so that life that you esteem, you gain in him. I use the illustration all the time of the clothing. You know, I could have a pile of clothes here, and I could esteem them. I could have a really nice pair of clothes there. And then you're like, "Uh, Eric, you might want to put them on because this is really awkward for us listening to you talk. Like, well, I don't need to actually put them on. I don't need to be in the clothes, do I? And you're like, yes, you do. Hurry up. And so I could stand on top of the clothes there. Are you satisfied? No, we're not satisfied. Get in them. You see, those clothes have something to offer me. But the only way that they can offer their virtue and their strength and their merit to me is if I am inside of them. And the same is true with Jesus Christ. If you remain in Adam, you die. It's called clothing. We're supposed to put off the old man and his deeds. And we're supposed to put on Christ. Never thought of Jesus' as clothing. But that's what he is. He's a habitation. He's like a house. He's a strong tower. You must enter into it. And when you enter in, you have life. And you become what is known as the body of Christ. The first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. That's just what it says in Scripture. He taketh away the first, it says in Hebrews, that he may establish the second, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So here's where the battle comes in. We can call this maintaining the sole of the gospel. Everything I've said so far is just basic. It's not like if you've studied Christianity at all, it's like Eric's coming up and saying all sorts of Newfangled things. This is just straight down the center, basic Christianity. In fact, some of you feel it's too naked of a truth. It's like, oh, mom, we need to dress this thing up a little. Come on, we need to add some accoutrement to it. Well, what I just said, the singularity of Jesus Christ in that cross could take you for all of eternity to truly troll its depths. And all the other things that may fascinate us, all the pluses that we want to add on to our Christianity, to make it sort of the robust version. Those will flow out in nature, of course, when you allow that fountain to begin to stream down into the rest of your life. And suddenly it will affect how you handle your finances. Because some of you could say, no, it's the gospel plus staying out of debt. And by the way, the Bible does address how we handle our money. And does it matter? Of course it does. But staying out of debt does not save you. Has anyone ever told you that? Isn't that a fascinating thought that staying out of debt doesn't save you? Some of you are (gasps) like, what? Just ruined your entire worldview. You know that homeschooling your children doesn't save you or your children? (gasps) And yet many of us have a notion that's like, well, if you're truly a Christian, you aren't just a Christian, but then you homeschool. And I'm here to tell you that that is actually a dangerous mentality. And I'm not saying that homeschooling is bad. I'm a big fan of it. However, it is not meant to be included in the Sole. The sole must be kept intact, and if you begin to mar it with a plus and an addition over here, you are very dangerously close to the precipice of returning to Adam's strength to accomplish what only Christ has accomplished. So be very watchful of how we maintain the sole of the gospel. By the way, there is a truth that you have to be, if you're a Christian, you have to vote Republican, though. That's the one I will have to. Okay, that was a joke, by the way. Those are the mentalities we have grown up around in the conservative realm. And though voting for this person may actually be a more biblically sound decision than voting for this man, the solely of the gospel must not be marred by these mentalities. So the six key perversion points for the devil. So the devil sees how we're functioning. He sees the church, and he sees the word of God, and he desires to distort. He wants to return us to Adam. Now, why in the world would we go back to Adam's life if we had access to Christ's life? Well, that's a good question, isn't it? Can you somehow quiz your own soul on why we do that? Why, Why do we go back to our own effort to try and achieve something that only can be achieved by Jesus Christ on that cross, that can only be accomplished by grace working in our life? Why in the world are we going to try and do that in our own strength again? And yet, there we go. You see, the devil is very sharp. He knows what he's doing and he has an agenda and that's to distort the sole of the gospel. If he can get you off the center and he can say, well, there's all sorts of ways to skin this cat. There's many different ways that you can accomplish that as opposed to, no, there's actually only one way that that can be done. If he can blur those lines, he wins. So let's look at the six key perversion points for the devil, This is what we actually addressed last week. The earthen vessels. When you believe in Jesus, did you know that though you are made new, you still have the old body? And so what does the devil do with this? We'll say the bait. To lean on Adam's ability, Adam's talents. You see, I am made very good. Adam was very good. And so what do we have a tendency to do? This is what the devil says. It's like, hey, look. If you truly want to bring glory to God, you need to use your talents and your abilities. You have so much to bring to God. The church needs you. Now is all of that incorrect? Does God not care about talents and abilities? You see, he purposely left us in these bodies. They're weak bodies, by the way. They're dying bodies, by the way. They're disintegrating on us just as we're going from 39 to 40. It's like, whoa, what's happening? I lost a spring in my step. Ah, my ankle. Boy, what's going on here? As we're gaining age, we're also gaining disability insurance. What's going on with us here? And so there's a bait to say, oh, well, God purposely left me in this body so that I could, I could use it for him. And the devil goes, exactly. You go out and you do the Christian life. You show, what, you show the world what Jesus looks like. You take your talent and you use it for Jesus. Is that all wrong? No, no. But it depends on how you use your talent. You know what you do with your talent when you come to the cross? You take it, boom, set it down right there. You give it up. You say, that belongs to you. If you ever want to give it back, it's your business. But my life, my talents, my abilities, my dreams, my ambitions are yours. However, many of us, right before as we're coming to the cross, lugging our talent, we're like, I think Jesus wants this. The devil pokes his head and says, whoa, whoa, whoa. You could use that for him. Uh Uh-huh. You mean even my swivel hips with the microphone on stage? Yeah. You could draw the crowds. And then as they're all sitting around screaming at you, you could say, and I just want to thank Jesus Christ. And then that will work. And you're like, I like it. Uh Uh-huh. And you've subtly been sucked back into Adam. Adam's agenda. Adam's desire. Adam's passion. But you're doing it for the glory of God. Tricky. Tricky. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. We can say, See, see, we have this treasure, Jesus, yeah. But it's in earthen vessels. God intended us to be in these vessels. These are his chosen vehicle, which is true. However, he doesn't choose to use that vehicle as the primary means of change in the world. It's the treasure inside that he wants to change this world with. Not your earthen vessel. So the command to do. Do you know what the Bible actually does say? Go, do. You better be doing it, otherwise it's not real. And so what do we say? (gasps) I need to be doing. So what's the bait? To attempt to do the work ourselves. I need to be about the Father's business. I need to be changing the world. I need to be evangelizing the lost. Is that wrong? Not necessarily. But how are you going to do it? You see, the enemy wants to return you to Adam, to Adam's ability, to Adam's strength, to Adam's willpower, to Adam's limitations. He wants you to try and change the world as Adam. But do you want to know, oh foolish man, that faith without works is dead? See, we say, see, it must have work. It must do something, and that's exactly right. But this is how the enemy will abuse and twist the truth to get us doing that work in our own strength. So we return to Adam, hey Adam, do you have what I need? I think you do. You see, we're more used to using Adam's abilities, strengths, willpower, wit, and wisdom than we are Christ's. And as a result, it's very, very easy to be sucked back in, especially when everyone around us is patting us on the back and saying, you can do a lot for Jesus Christ. I am so excited that you're a Christian. Wow, we got a football player as a Christian. You can use your talent for Jesus Christ. Well, is that all wrong? No, but the first thing that football player probably needs to do is lay down his football career at the feet of Jesus and say, it belongs to you if this is getting in the way, if I'm shrouding your glory in even the slightest way, take it all. Now, that's what he should be doing. Instead, we're patting him on the back saying, you can leverage this. No, God wants you, and he wants you emptied so that he can be what is seen, not you and your Adam ability. Number three, the necessity for power. You know that there's a necessity for power in the Christian life? If we as Christians do not showcase something supernatural and powerful in our life, you know that we're a laughingstock? God, we need power. It can't just be what Adam can do. We must have strength from another realm. So the bait, to show a power, any power. And that's the problem. Instead of waiting on God for God to bring the power, we manipulate and craft a power after our own Image, in Adam power. Even if it's a little sleight of hand and maybe drops a little smoke from the ceiling vents, at least it'll give the ambiance of power. That's a false power. And once again, we are attempting to do in Adam what only God can do by his spirit. And so, Paul, where do we get that from? My speech, my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. That is how we must deliver the gospel. But we can't do it in and of ourselves. I don't have it in my pockets to whip out power. He has it in his. And so therefore we must go to him. He is the sola for power. The only source for it. We must have it, but we must not try and manufacture it the wrong way. Number four, the workmen approved. You know that we're supposed to handle Scripture properly? You know that we're supposed to use our minds and our faculties in accordance with the way we were intended by God to use them. We're not supposed to be idiots. The Proverbs calls them fools. We're supposed to be wise. However, many of us take that and we immediately try and go get our Ph.D. in theology, thinking that to know about God is the equivalent of what he's describing in Scripture. And so we think that intellectual understanding is somehow gaining righteousness for us. It's a very, very subtle play of the enemy, just like all the others. Because is it wrong? Are we not supposed to know about God? Are we not supposed to know Scripture? That's not true. We are. There's nothing wrong with a Ph.D. in theology. However, why are you going after it? Are you going after it as your badge to say, look, how could God ever condemn this? You know how much Scripture I know? Well, you know how I could respond to that? You know how much Scripture Satan knows? It doesn't matter how much data you have packed in. Who you know is everything. Do you know him? Do you know Jesus? Do you know that cross? Where is the fountain of your life? Are you going to a fountain down in the valley that's spewing out head knowledge and you're like drinking from it going, oh, I feel so spiritual? Or are you going to the true fountain? If you want to have the right sort of knowledge, it's a knowledge that isn't just head. It's a knowledge that changes you. I don't just know facts about my wife. I know her intimately. I know her emotions. I know her thoughts. How do you know someone that way? Well, you must spend time with them. You must become familiar with them. You must yield to a relationship. So the workman approved the bait to make salvation an intellectual pursuit. If you know about salvation, what if you know the entire gospel? Does that mean you have it? I use the illustration all the time of sticking $20 on the stage here and saying, it's yours. And so I, I pick one of you. And I say, that's your 20. And so you could say uh, later today, you know, when someone says, did Eric give you a $20 bill? True. The fact that you know that I gave you a $20 bill and there's a $20 bill on the stage and you can even describe exactly where it's located on a GPS does not mean you have the 20. You see, you must know, but to know you must reckon. If you really know that to be yours, you would reckon it is yours. You would take it. You would obtain the promise is what scripture says. Obtain it. Gain it. When you have it, you know you have it. So here's our scripture bait, to study, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needs not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That's how we're supposed to be. And yet what we oftentimes do is we take one scripture and say, see, this is why I give all my life to reading books. It's like, well, you also need to sort of live, don't you? Well, I feel like my calling is to just sort of stow it away, uh, just to stick it in there. And We feel more spiritual because we read a book about spirituality, but that's not what makes you spiritual. Head knowledge is not the answer. Number five, the need for a show of righteousness. You know that you're supposed to be marked by love if you're one of God's disciples, one of Christ's disciples, you will know them by their love. You need to be marked by joy. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You need to be pure as he is pure, perfect as he is perfect, holy as he is holy. You need to be without spot and wrinkle. Good luck. However, we're supposed to show that we are Christians. And so what do we do as a result? We turn to Adam and we make a bargain. All right, I know you have a lust problem, Adam. But could you just try and contain yourself? Okay, because we need to sort of show the way we're supposed to live, okay? So we're gonna to work together here. In our own strength, we are going to, with grit and determination, attempt to showcase purity. And we need to be a little kinder, okay? Some of those harsh words that you're speaking, not the right way of doing it. So let's temper that. That's not how you change your behavior. You don't go to Adam and make a deal. You don't try and work out an arrangement with your old man. You don't try and discipline him, keep him in the closet. You know that if you try and keep the old man in the closet, what happens is you get locked in the closet and he goes roaming the streets. You see, it doesn't work that way. The old man can only be dealt with one way. There is a sola answer for the old man. So the bait, to pretend that we are better off than we really are. Why? Because we're not well off. We're not doing well. Everyone at church is like uh, hugging us and happy and smiling and we're dying. So what are you going to do? Well, you could either come in and ruin the whole thing by saying, hey, guys, I'm miserable. I need help. What can I do to be saved? Or you start smiling with everyone, dancing around on your toes and saying, praise the Lord, and withering away. You see, there's a bait to a false pretense, a false show, a charade. And many of us have participated in these things. That's a work of Adam. It is not a work of the spirit. So, what do we do with a scripture like this? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Oh! Try it. You have one answer for your problem. One! However, there's a due, and the devil has another opportunity for you. You see, and it's easier. The devil's options are always easier than God's, because God's mean you have to give up your life. You have to relinquish control. But the devil says, no, we don't need to go there. You see, all you need to do is make this about you. Self-protect. Do it for your glory. It's just a lot easier. You can still look spiritual, still talk about Jesus, still hang out in church. Everything will be fine for you. You still get to go to heaven in the end, says the devil. That's just not how Christianity works. Be ye holy, for I am holy. Boy, he's just laying it on thick. And finally, the law is good. It is a picture of how I need to live. How you deal with the laws of the utmost importance. And in Christianity today, we have a lot of confusion over this. Because there's a lot of people that are returning to the Old Testament to understand, well, we didn't need to cut it in half and just carry around a New Testament. But when you return to the Old Testament, just make sure you don't return to being under law. There's a reason why the law is given, and it isn't so that it can save you. It's so that it can lead you to the only one who can. The law stipulates that you must be righteous, and it also makes it very clear that you are not righteous. Thank you, law. All you've done is condemn me. You declare that I must be righteous, and then you say that I'm not righteous. Wow! great. The law is a schoolmaster which leads us to Christ. The law cannot save us. Moses was a picture of the law. Great man, by the way. It's not a diminishment of Moses, but he could not lead the nation of Israel into the land of promise. And so he could stand on a high mountain and stare over, longingly into it. But he could not enter. The law cannot take you past the Jordan River into that land flown with milk and honey. You want the land flown with milk and honey? You need Joshua. The name is Yeshua. In the New Testament, Yeshua is the same name as Jesus. There's only one that can take you in, and it's the second. Moses, Joshua. Joshua. It's the second man that saves. So, the law is good. It's a picture of how I need to live. Do you know that that's actually true? The law is good. However, our reasoning is this. Well, the law is good. That means I should submit under it. It's going to lead me into good lands. The law has one agenda, and that is to reveal to you your need. That you are not perfect. That you are not the only one. You are not that man. You are not that Messiah. You need a Messiah. And so do not submit under law because the moment you submit under law is the moment you must keep it to perfection. You can learn, glean, and understand the new covenant by studying the old covenant. But make sure you don't get trapped under the old covenant and under the old Adam condition while you do it. So the bait, to stay under the weight of commandment and the woeful need to drum up the ability to be as only God can be. Wherefore the law is holy and the commandment, holy and just and good. That's true, it is. However, all it's going to do for all of us is reveal we are not as God is. So take that message, it's called the bad news. Unless you are as God is, you can't live. And your eternal punishment is death. (gasps) And so then we cry out, is there any solution to my problem? Is there a second man? And the good news is, yes. There is a solution. There is only one way for you to be rescued. So, dualism, that's just a creative word for talking about the multiple options, okay? Instead of the solo, we have dualism today in Christianity. Er, it's sort of an old-fashioned filler word, er, I mean denominationalism. What do you think denominationalism is? Now, we all come from different denominations. Anyone that's watching this on the outside, we have, like, every conservative denomination represented here. And it's quite funny. If we were to go around and just talk about what our backgrounds are, it would be laugh out loud. You'd be like, really? That's interesting. Whoa, I wouldn't have even talk to you two years ago. <laughs> and that's the point. The point of what we are attempting to do here is to make it clear. You focus on the singular thing that saves, and what happens are the other things that we've added begin to melt away or find their proper positions. You know that if we started talking about peripheral doctrines in here that we would disagree? And I don't just mean you and me. I mean we would be splitting down the middle on certain things. If I started whipping out tongues... And we started talking about, so let's just have a quick, you know, question-answer time. Are you for tongues or against? Do you want tongues in this church or not? Do you know that we'd split right down the middle on that? And some of you would actually consider leaving and never coming back to this church if this was a pro-tongues church. Some of you, if we came to the conclusion that we were anti-tongues, would never come back. Think about that. How are we supposed to navigate these issues? How about head coverings? You know that we could split this room right down the middle on something like that? How about the gifts of the Spirit? Are they active today? (coughs) we can split this body fairly quickly. If we started talking about which day of the week is most appropriate to celebrate the Sabbath, if we talked about diet, and if diet and, and the way we eat matters in the Christian life, these are heavy-duty issues in Christianity and have separated more than a few. Dualism. What happens when we go for the bait? You see, when we begin to go after the bait and we say, well, look what the Bible says. You know, most Christian, I shouldn't say most. There's a whole band of Christian men, though, that they know about three scriptures in the Bible. And it's funny because they quote those three scriptures all the time. And it has to do with, woman, the Bible says that you need to submit to me. They know scripture, but they are handling scripture the way Adam would handle scripture. And by the way, the Bible talks about it a lot more than that. You want to study how a head is supposed to be? You know that the head of the body the, the man, if the man's the head of the home, well, you don't want to claim to be the head of the home that quickly. The head's the one that's going to be punished. If there's something wrong in that home, where do you go? You go to the head and say, uh, there's a problem here. Who's the responsible one around here? Who's the head? Uh, well, she is. <laughs> uh. By the way, the head is the one, if, there's, if they have five people in the family and there's four plates of food, the head goes without. What if there's four blankets on a cold night the heater went out? Four blankets? You make sure everyone's warm the head goes without. The head is a picture of Jesus. So, we need to make sure that we handle these random scriptures that we whip out and hold over people the way the spirit of God would handle it, not the way Adam would handle it. So the congregation begins to clamor. This is denominationalism or dualism. We are saved by baptism. Okay? You cannot just believe you must also be baptized. You know what even the word baptism means? Baptizo it means to be put in something. It's not talking about just water. It's talking about being in Christ. And yes, it's true. There is a solo way of salvation that's being baptized in Christ by faith. That is true. However, what happens? You have a whole denomination split off right there on baptism. They don't believe that you, know, you have to be baptized. They say that the thief on the cross didn't you know, need to be baptized. And just by faith, he could access the heavenly. Oh, come on. And we have a whole denomination right there. No, we are saved by intellectual assent. No, we are saved by works. Don't, didn't you read James? You cannot just have faith. You must also have works. And the combo package of the two is what saves you. No, we are saved by communion. You must take the sacraments. If you don't take the sacraments, then you don't have the benefit from them. No, we are saved by church membership. If you're not a part of a church, sorry to say this to you, but you're going to hell. Because it's becoming a church member that makes you part of the body. No, we are saved by our knowledge of scripture. If you don't actually study scripture and know scripture, then you don't have any relationship to God. No, we are saved by our knowledge of salvation. What you need to know is the science of salvation. If you know these five points, then you can be saved. No, we are saved by our own hard work. The saints begin to argue. We are justified by speaking in tongues. You know, there's a whole movement in Christianity that basically says, no, you don't have the real thing. Until you can prove it by speaking in tongues. What's that saying is you are justified. You are proven right with God by the evidence of tongues. That's a dangerous conclusion. Because that's actually not what scripture says. I I understand the scriptural backing. But every single one of these has something you could argue. I'm saying there is a sola means of salvation. And that means is not tongues. Make sure that you don't mix up the river flowing down the mountain from the fountain itself. There is a source of life, and that source must be the focus, not the river. No, we are justified by wearing a head covering. No, we are justified by honoring parents. Are any of these things bad? No, we are justified by honoring the ordnung. No, we are justified by keeping the Sabbath. No, we are justified by having a biblically accurate eschatological view. No, we are justified by attending church dutifully. No, we are justified by staying abstinent until marriage. No, we are justified by homeschooling. No, we are justified by voting conservative. No, we are justified, and this one probably is true, don't you think? No, we are justified by attending Ellerslie. (laughs) The fact that you attend Ellerslie doesn't make you right with God. You see, these are externals. These are Adam things that we could lean on. But they aren't what truly saves. There is a gospel sole. There is a focal point of that which truly remedies our situation. These are not wrong. Let's not let them splinter. The body of Christ, though, we may disagree on many of the things that we just went through, but can we agree in the gospel sole? Can we agree in that which truly matters? The big-hearted believer concludes. So this is the guy that's just so nice. Listen to his thought patterns. I don't need Christ to do it for me. I can do this for him. I don't need Christ to shed his blood for me. Rather, I will suffer and shed my blood for him. I don't need any favors, but because I'm such a noble soul, I will do a favor for God and labor for him. You know how many Christians function just like that? They don't see their need. They don't see that there is only one way of salvation. They don't agree with the law. The law says you need a savior. And they say, well, actually, I, was, I grew up a Christian. I have always sort of known these things. And so that's for the lost. God needs recruits. He needs soldiers. And so I've just signed up. I, you know, I just sort of went to the recruiting office and said, yeah, I'm willing to be a Christian. I'm willing to serve you, God. I'm willing to help you. Use my Adam's strength to help your cause. I've got a lot of it to offer. You know, if I was going to say which one I stumbled with the most when I first became a Christian, it's that. Sounds terrible, doesn't it? But that's where I started. God, <laughs> I'm here for you. Yeah, I, I know you've got a lost world out there, but I'm sort of getting focused in my life, and I realize that you need, you need some men. I'm here for you. Could you imagine, God? Thanks. <laughs> what am I going to do with that guy? <laughs> the ever-present downward pull toward, I'm going to make up a word here, and I really think it should be a word in the dictionary, adamability. So if you take out the hyphen, it's like adamability, adamability. It's a, it's a, it's a neat word, but it's the ability of adam. And we have this downward pull. It's like a gravitational pull to return to us as a solution. We don't naturally go up to God for the solution. Everything about the gospel calls us to the sole. It calls us to him as a solution for everything, every situation, every moment of every day. And yet there's this downward gravitational pull towards adamability or adamability. Since I made up the word, I could also uh, tell you how to pronounce it. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. That's the truth. We're stuck in these Adam bodies. I still have my body, which is of the lineage of Adam. However, I'm a new man, and I've been born again, and now I'm of the lineage of Christ. And I am, though I am still in an old body, I am a new creature. I am a new man. You see, God didn't make a mistake when he made this body. He made this body right. However, as long as an old man dwells within this body, this body is corrupt. So what Christ did on the tree is he removed the old man. He dealt with him so that the new man can come in and house inside this body. However, this body is still not the solution for this world. My mind, my heart, my lips, my eyes, my ears, my feet, my hands are still not the solution. However, just like a cup of water, let's say a glass, a glass that is empty... Is that the solution for your thirst, a glass? Say you're thirsty and you run through the house and you come to the cabinet and see a glass. Oh, whew, and your thirst is just quenched as you grab the glass. No, the glass cannot quench your thirst any more than your human body can solve the ills of mankind. However, that glass is built to hold something. And so when you dump out the old man and you allow yourself to be filled with the new man, suddenly, The world can reach out and say, I need help. And you actually have a solution, but it's not you. You have this treasure in an earthen vessel. That the excellency of the power may be of God, and I made this big for you so you wouldn't miss it, and not of us. That's the whole strategy. So don't say, oh, he put me in this body because he intends for me to use all of my innate quality to serve him. I'm not saying he's not going to use your quality. However, you need to lay all that down. That earthen vessel isn't the secret. You need to know the sole, and then you'll be ready for him to use this earthen vessel. So Adam plus ability equals Adamability. Remember, that's my new pronunciation for it. I should have had a pronunciation guide next to it, too, for you guys. Which basically means self-effort, self-work, self-righteousness. And by the way, I made this a mathematical formula so you can see what that equals. Which equals death. That's what it says in Scripture. So atom ability equals death. And so some of you that are you know, red-handed today is like, oh, I've been, I've been using atom ability again. That only deteriorates your life. It only actually distracts you from your true purpose here on earth. I know it seems like a great idea, but it doesn't work. So here's a new word for you. Christ plus ability could equals Christability or something like Christability. That would be a good pronunciation for it, Christability. Which is God effort, God work, God righteousness, but since the Bible already has a word for it, I might as well default to that. It's called grace. Grace is what we could call today Christ ability. How are you saved? By your ability? By your efforts? By your work? No, by grace. Well, that's what the scripture says. By Christ's ability, by his work. You see, he has done it. It's God's effort, it's God's work, it's God's righteousness that you need not yours. That's just the centerpiece of the entire good news. I can't. My Adam ability, or my Adam ability, is insufficient. So I need grace. I need Christ's ability to work on my behalf. And that equals life. So I've taken my two new words that I invented, and I've stuck them in this scripture. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and I made that big for you just so you wouldn't miss it, which equals Christ's ability may be of grace and not of Adam ability. It's not of us. That's the whole reason he gave us the old body. We still have it. Why? So that we could not brag. When it all comes down to it, this terrible deteriorating body actually was the vehicle that God chose to change the world through. And that's his sense of humor so that you would have no bragging rights. And it would be very clear that it was not of you. It was not of Adam. It was of me, says God. So here's the the concept of ability or the grace of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain, or his ability, his work. But I labored more abundantly than they all. So the grace of God, or the work of God, has been made available to Paul. And then Paul says, but I labored. It's not a strange statement. I thought he wasn't supposed to work at all. He's like in the Adam body. No, grace, when given to Paul, labors. So listen to how he describes it. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. What's laboring in Paul's earthen body? Grace. You see, he was saved by grace, but then he lives by grace. He preaches by grace. He's a missionary by grace. He writes the epistles by grace. His entire life, he labored more abundantly than all the rest. But how did he labor? By Christ's ability, by Christ working? He knew the solely of the gospel, and the reason we know the solely of the gospel is thanks to Paul. This is his entire message. The duet of every seed, the shell and the inner pit, so the two parts to every seed. You have a seed, and that seed is a big seed. Uh, but this seed actually has the potential of reproducing, like say it's an acorn, an entire oak tree. It's an amazing thought that in this little seed is this massive tree. Everything that is needed for a massive tree. And yet in that seed, in every seed, there's a duality. There's two aspects of it. There is a shell around the outside, an earthen crust, and there is an inner pith. Which part of it reproduces? Well... It's the inner pith. Just make sure you know the inner pith from the outer shell. As Christians, we spend a lot of time celebrating outer shells. And oftentimes, we forsake the inner pith. You try and plant just the outer shell of an acorn in the ground, and guess what? There's no tree. And that's what we do all the time. However, is the outer shell wrong? Of course not. Do you know that if you don't have an outer shell, that pith is going to die? Do you know that they are supposed to go together? Do you know that you're given an earthen body, and there's nothing wrong with your earthen body? Do you know that we're given truth to know? We're given power. We're given all of these things that we're like saying out here, out here, out, out here. All these are there for a reason. But it's to ensure the integrity of the pith, not to distract from the integrity of the pith. Emphasizing the shell over the inner pith. It's a bad thing when the shell suddenly becomes more important than the inner pith. So this is going to offend a few people as I go through this, but... um, I'm not attacking anyone personally, okay? This is just one of those little sections that just has to say it. We must wield our natural abilities to the glory of God. Is that true? Yes. So what happens when we handle it in Adam? Kaboom! The Christian music industry has liftoff, and now we have more than Jehovah to worship. We have hip-swiveling Christian musicians to block our view of Jesus. When suddenly you turn to Adam... For the solution to handle what the Bible actually declares we must do. If you don't turn to Jesus, you don't turn to the sole, what do you have? You have a Christian music industry. All supposedly worshiping God for the glory of God. However, we're strangely not seeing God anymore. We're seeing a lot of man. We're seeing a lot of swiveling hips. We must go out and do, we must rescue a dying world. Is that true? Of course it's true. However, what if you go to Adam? Well, here's what happens. Kapow! The liberal church emerges and starts buying everything with a pink ribbon on it. Some of you don't truly appreciate that. (laughs) Number three, we must show power, otherwise we will not be convincing. Is it true that we as the body of Christ must demonstrate power? Absolutely. But what if we go to Adam to do it? Whammo! The charismatics start their laughing. Oh, and they're barking, clucking, and slithering. I don't know if I offended anyone with that. Number four, we must rightly handle scripture. We must have an answer for the contrary world. Is that true? Yes, it's true. But what if we go to Adam to solve it? Blam! I was lacking comic uh, uh, sounds. Blam! I've never used that one before, but that's sort of a fun one. (laughs) Blam! The Christian intelligentsia begins their official snub campaign. Their mantra being PhDs (laughs) over here and the rest of you idiots over there. I deal with that one a Number five, we need to demonstrate that we are holy, perfect, and righteous. Is it true that we need to showcase the behavior of Jesus? Yes. Try and do it in Adam, and what happens? Great Scott! The legalist is born, and leather jackets, trophies, ribbons, and medals are made for whenever Adam performs according to his human potential. And we now honor Adams. Look how well this Adam has done. Look how well they've done in their own strength. They are such a testimony. Of what? Of what? They're a testimony of what a man can do outside of the power of Jesus Christ. How is that impressive? The end is death. We are celebrating the wrong thing. Great Scott! I don't know that I've ever said that either. (laughs) The counterfeit will never do. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. We have the power that we need To live the life that we've been called to live. But it is found in only one place. One! There is not other options. There is only one. And unless you go to that one place, you will be a fraud. You will be false. You will be mimicking ideas of truth, but you will not be performing the truth. You will not be showcasing the reality of it. You will have a counterfeit. The reason we must protect the solely of the gospel... And we must maintain its integrity is because if we lose it, we end up with an Adam Christianity. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. And the scriptures actually tell us to turn away from that. We must divide. We must separate from those that would have a form, an Adam form, but deny the grace. Deny the Holy Spirit's indwelling ability to live the life of a Christian. So remembering the pith always, never forgetting the gospel soleil. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We have it in this body that we would remember, that we would... Be conscious of the fact that I need the only solution. I need the only solution. There is only one solution. And we would rally there. As the church, we would celebrate that. We would constantly come to that point. If you met any of us at any point during our week, where would we be standing? At the cross. At the cross, cherishing it. Cherishing that work, saying, it is here that I find my life. It is here that I was reborn. It is here that I'm made new. Everything that I need flows out of this. Everything, that great river that flows out of the resurrection life, the outpoured spirit, the enabling grace to live, it all starts here, it's flowing out of his side. This is where I find life, and there is no life on this earth, in this universe, outside of right here. Remember, it's not in our pockets, it's in the second. We must wield our natural abilities to the glory of God, but how? Check your pockets. Do you have that which you need to be able to wield this body to the glory of God? Do you know how to live a life in this Adam body, in this old frame, that would truly showcase to the universe, so that's what God is like. Can you do that? No. So how do you do it? You can't do it in your own strength. That's what the law has dictated to you. That's what it's clarified. It is clarify clarified that singular thing. So how do you do it? He does it. The secret to Christianity is going to that cross and saying, that's how. <laughs> he is my solution. He is the answer. I can't. He can. You get rather excited. That's why it's called good news. A little jig in the step, a little dance. And I can't dance. And I still will do a little jig and a dance. That's how excited I am. We must go out and do. We must rescue a dying world. Is it true? Yes, it's true. But how? Check your own pockets. Do you have what you need to be able to change the world? You don't. But do you have it? If you're in Christ Jesus, you have access to everything you will need for life and godliness. We must show power. Otherwise, we will not be convincing. You need power in your Christian life. This world should be able to look at you and say, that's impossible. No one can actually live that way. No one can do that. Well, a Christian can. Why? Because a Christian has it in their own pocket? No, because a Christian has Jesus. You see, and when we are clothed in Jesus, we are brought under the throne of grace. You know what the Father has? Jesus says, ask the Father. The Father has the Holy Spirit. The Father has the very indwelling life of God to share with us so that this body would have a treasure in it. This earthen vessel would be the carrying device for the life of God Almighty. And now this body, though it be an earthen vessel, and though it be pitiful in and of itself, has the ability, but not its own ability, has the ability of Christ to do what otherwise it couldn't do. We must rightly handle Scripture. We must have an answer for the contrary world. But how? It's not through just holing up in a study and reading books. It's through getting to know Jesus Christ. You know what we have in Christ? When you enter into Christ, you know that you have access into what's called the mind of Christ? Christ? Yeah, some people would call it the cheater's way to gaining intelligence, but it's true. You access all the mind of God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. He knows everything, and guess what? You can go straight into his study and say, uh, Father, could you teach me? And do you think he's going to be like, he's going to be, thank you for coming in. I would love to instruct you. In anything you will ever need, you have his word laid bare before you, and the very one who scripted it knows the Holy Spirit, it carried along the men that wrote it, he is your personal tutor. Yeah, there's no moaning and groaning about low SAT scores anymore. It's like, I'm not that smart. You have access to the mind of Christ. Put all that intelligentsia to shame. Number five, we need to demonstrate that we are holy, perfect, and righteous. But how? How are you going to do it? Don't look to yourself. Don't look to Adam. Don't negotiate with Adam a deal. He'll fail you. Turn to Jesus Christ and enter into a covenant with him and say, my body for yours, my life for yours. You take this, I'm yours. You live through this. However you want to live on this earth, it's you. You showcase your life in and through. And as a result, the world is seen him. You're still a work in process. But the world around you will actually see an ever-growing picture of the life of Jesus Christ. The necessity must awaken a groan, a cry for grace. So when you know that you don't have it in your pocket, it's supposed to awaken a cry for grace. I need something else. The sliding scale from the left to the right. Now in politics, the left is always the liberal and the right is the conservative. Okay, So we'll use that same concept here. When we have a sole, right in the middle, it's a central theme. There is always something that's trying to pull us either to the right or to the left. And so here we have the gospel sole is the green. That's where the life is. And then we have the right and we have the left. So the gospel sole says, and thine ears shall hear a word behind thee saying, this is the way, walk ye in it. When you turn to the right hand or when you turn to the left, if you start to go off to either direction, there is a word that will clarify to you, stay in the center and that's our promise. You see, when we hold to the gospel sole, the word of God, Jesus Christ, his great work, the sola of scripture, then we will stay from the right or the left paths of death. Here's another scripture, 2 Corinthians eleven three. 3. But I fear lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. You see... Paul is concerned that they would be taken from the center, the simplicity that is found in that green. And they would be wooed either to the right or to the left. And the simplicity that is in Christ would be lost. The sole that is in Christ would be marred. So here's our sole that we've gone through. The gospel, sole, sole Jesus, solely cross, solely Christ crucified, solely grace, sole faith, sole in Christ, sole of God's glory, sole new covenant, sole of Christ's blood, sole of Christ's suffering, sole of Christ's high priesthood, sole of Christ's righteousness, sole of Christ's intercession. This is Charles Spurgeon in 1850. He said, Calvinism is the gospel and nothing else. What he's saying is, there's a sole and it's Calvinism. And did you know that I disagree with that? I disagree with that statement. So I did some searching. Uh, a quick timeline. Charles Spurgeon was born in 1834. Charles Spurgeon was born anew in 1849. He was 15 years old. The next year was 1850. Charles Spurgeon wrote the quote just mentioned above, less than one year a Christian. The guy was a novice, just popped out of the spiritual womb, and he was functioning probably like many of us function. He wasn't seeing the sole of the gospel properly. Was he wrong? Is Calvinism wrong? Are the five points wrong? Well, that's not our discussion today, but that's not the point. There's nothing to do with it. The question is, is anything going to take our focus off the sole of the gospel? And even if Charles Spurgeon were to do it, we stay true to the center, and we will not veer off course. But just as a little treat and bonus for you, I have Spurgeon's first sermon in the Metropolitan Tabernacle. March 25th, 1861, he was 27 years old. They're just moving into literally one of the most famous preaching environments in all of world history, since Spurgeon is known as the Prince of Preachers. And this is the very first thing he said, and just to make it very clear where he stands. And daily, and this is the scripture he referenced, and daily in the temple and in every house they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. So here's Charles Spurgeon. I do not know whether there are any persons here present who can contrive to put themselves into my present position. Charles Spurgeon was nervous, trembling. He was taking over the pulpit of one of the most famed men of England. And he was just a young man. There was such a pressure on him, and this is what he was saying. I don't know if they can contrive to put themselves into my present position and to feel my present feelings. If they can affect that, they will give me credit for meaning what I say when I declare that I feel totally unable to preach. And indeed, I think I shall scarcely attempt a sermon but rather give a sort of declaration of the truths from which future sermons shall be made. I will give you bullion rather than coin, the block from the quarry and not the statue from the chisel. It appears that the one subject upon which men preached in the apostolic age was Jesus Christ. The tendency of man, if left alone, is continually to go further and further from God, and the church of God itself is no exception to the general rule. For the first few years during and after the apostolic era, Christ Jesus was preached, But gradually the church departed from the central point and began rather to preach ceremonials and church offices rather than the person of their Lord. So it has been in these modern times. We also have fallen into the same error, at least to a degree, and have gone from preaching Christ to preaching doctrines about Christ. Inferences which may be drawn from his life or definitions which may be gathered from his discourses. We are not content to stand like angels in the sun. Our fancies disturb our rest and must needs fly on the sunbeams further and further from the glorious source of light. In the days of Paul, it was not difficult at once, in one word, to give the sum and substance of the current theology. It was Christ Jesus. Had you asked any one of those disciples what he believed, he would have replied, I believe Christ. If you had requested him to show you his body of divinity, he would have pointed upward, reminding you that divinity never had but one body, the suffering and crucified human frame of Jesus Christ who ascended up on high. To them, Christ was not a notion refined but unsubstantial not a historical personage who had left only the savor of his character behind, but whose person was dead. To them, he was not a set of ideas, not a creed, nor an incarnation of an abstract theory, but he was a person, one who some of them had seen, whose hands they had handled, nay, of one of whose flesh they had all been made to eat, and of whose blood they had spiritually been made to drink. Christ was substance to them. I fear he is too often but shadow to us. He was a reality to their minds, to us though perhaps We would scarcely allow it in so many words, rather a myth than a man, rather a person who was than he who was and is and is to come, the Almighty. I would propose, and oh, may the Lord grant us grace to carry out that proposition from which no Christian can dissent. I would propose that the subject of the ministry of this house, as long as this platform shall stand and as long as this house shall be frequented by worshipers, shall be the person of Jesus Christ. I am never ashamed to avow myself a Calvinist, although I claim to be rather a Calvinist according to Calvin than after the modern debased fashion. I do not hesitate to take the name of Baptist. You have there, pointing to the baptistry, substantial evidence that I am not ashamed of that ordinance of the Lord Jesus Christ. But if I am asked to say what is my creed, I think I must reply, it is Jesus Christ. My venerable predecessor, Dr. Gill, has left a body of divinity admirable and excellent in its way. But the body of divinity to which I would pin and bind myself forever, God helping me, is not his system of divinity or any other human treaties, but Christ Jesus, who is the sum and substance of the gospel. I'm going to read that again just in case you don't fully appreciate that in light of this entire message. But Christ Jesus, who is the sum and substance of the gospel, who is in himself all theology, the incarnation of every precious truth, the all-glorious personal embodiment of the way, the truth, and the life. I would highly recommend, if you have the notes, you have to read these two sermons. The man of one subject and Christ crucified. Great sermons to read. So here we have the gospel sole in the middle. On the right, we have the conservative. On the left, we have the liberal. Both ways can veer us off course. I am a natural leaning towards the conservative side. And it really would offend me if we were to say, oh, the conservative and the liberal mentalities are equally true. Well, the, con- the liberal is always diminishing truth, whereas the conservative is oft- oftentimes fixating on a portion of the truth and not the whole. And so it's not that, I mean, I honestly do think the conservative is more right in their conclusions. However, they're usually wrong in their fixations. They're still off track oftentimes from the true Christian course, which is the gospel soleil. So then on the left, you see, I just added the Sadducees in there. And on the right, the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the ones that would take the minutia of Scripture and miss Jesus. Who killed Jesus? The Pharisees. Who else killed Jesus? The Sadducees. They conspired. You see, they both hate the middle. The middle offends both of them. When you get down to the lay of the gospel, it offends the conservative Pharisee who says, you are missing this. You are not dotting this I and crossing this T. Because all you're talking about is Jesus Christ and him crucified. And yet the liberal, the one that denies the resurrection, the one that diminishes all power, all expectation, puts it all in Adam's ability say, Adam, you are sufficient. You can save yourself. They too crucify Jesus Christ. Now, look at under this. I added on the left, no is allowed. There's no such thing as a sole in the liberal camp. You're gonna say there's only one way? That is the most offensive statement you could ever give to a liberal. There are many ways. All roads lead to heaven, typically known as uh, universalism. Everything, oh, hell will be empty when it's all said and done. God is love. A book called Love Wins, I think, said something similar. And so we have no soles allowed. That is the classic liberal mindset. Towards these things. So you can't just make it that narrow. You can't just say there's only one way. How offensive. How about on the other side? Oh, Soles are everywhere. Just the wrong ones. Only this, only this, only this. Never do this, never do this. That's an exclusive band of Christians there. We cannot participate with them. Everything is exclusive, but it's the wrong focus. So we band into all our conservative denominations and have all our soules, our precious soles that aren't even the soles of the gospel. That is our problem. And it's not saying that this group is wrong and this group is right. It's to say we are the body of Christ. Let's not play the devil's game. Let's drop our differences when they are separate from the gospel and let's make sure we know what our similarities are. Let's unite on the person of Jesus Christ on the cross. Staying centered. Beware the Sadducee and the Pharisee in us all. Did you know that every single one of us has tendencies, one way or the other? You might have certain areas of your life where you're on the right and certain areas where you're on the left. Different compartments of your life where you're sliding off to the side in one of those areas. Well, this message is meant to be an injection of green into your life. Say, hey, 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 do you have the gospel plus? Are you saying that a Christian also must do this to truly be justified and right with God? I'm not saying that what you're saying is wrong. If we were to go through all the pluses that all of us could have, do you know that we would probably nod along and say, oh, that's probably an important thing. However, let's not lose the gospel in the process. Those trivial additions that we're putting on, even though I know they're not necessarily trivial and they do affect our life practically, are separating us from the center and they're dividing us as the body. So here we have, on the left, arguing Adam's liberty. This is the classic thing. This is all about Adam, though. The Pharisees and the Sadducees are about Adam. Everything in black is the first. Everything in green is the second. So the left is arguing Adam's liberty. Adam can do whatever he wants. You can't dictate the commandments. He's no longer under the commandments. He can live. He has liberty in Christ Jesus. Defending Adam's rights. Adam Adam should not be under that judgment. That. That sentence of death, there is no place actually called hell. We can't actually conclude that. Preserving Adam's dignity. How dare you say that he's a sinner? How oh, how horrible and wretched that statement is to call him wretched. And then on the other side, we have the right. Showcasing Adam's ability. But have you seen what Adam can do? What's funny is the right oftentimes believe in the wretch, believes in the wretchedness of Adam and esteems Adam's ability more than any other group. Because we think that in our own strength, We can live it. Where does legalism hang out? It's in the right. And the right honestly knows that they're wretched. That's what's so funny. They know in the depravity of man, they know scripture, and yet who's trying harder to prove their righteousness? The Pharisee. It's a great irony. Showcasing Adam's ability, esteeming Adam's efforts, and applauding Adam's IQ. Boy, Adam can think. Adam has some great thoughts. Adam has some great philosophies. Have you checked Adam out? Have you read the latest book by Adam? Great stuff. Boy, it will get you thinking. It'll take you from the green. Do we ever divide as Christians? What a fascinating question that is. Eric's been talking about, unite! I am not one of those guys, by the way. I am not going to call up the Jehovah's Witness and say, hey guys, we're all sort of in the same boat here. I'm not going to call up the Muslims and say, let's just see if we can get along. Now it doesn't mean I'm going to kick them either. I love them. However, I'm not expecting to have unity when it comes to the Spirit of God and the Gospel Soleil. I, want, I feel that they need to be evangelized to learn about Jesus and the gospel soleil, but I don't presume from the get-go that they see it that way. So do we ever divide as Christians? Look at my answer. Absolutely. Boy, that sounds rude, doesn't it? We just need to make sure that it's over the right things. You see, there are things that we are supposed to stand on and not budge. However, most of us are standing on the wrong things. But what about the gospel soleil? I've actually given you everything we're supposed to stand on. If those get marred, if the gospel soleil, if the sola of the gospel, if they get messed with, did you know that we cannot have unity with them? We cannot. Someone starts saying that there's another redeemer, there's another Messiah out there. You know what? It's sort of going to mess up your fellowship. If someone comes in and says, oh, well, there was another event in history. It was just a little bit later when this great man came and he did this one act. And that's the one. No. Dear brother, we're not going to be able to stand together on that. There is a sola in the gospel. And if we lose that, we lose everything. So here's, I know, my drawings. I know some of you love my drawings. This isn't perfect, okay, because it makes it look like that green. This is actually a cross in the middle. I know I was trying to be creative at the very end. It was late last night. Uh, and what I have, the unity zone, I was even thinking, that is so cheesy. Even when I put it up there, I was like, oh. But I could not. It was, it was like 11-something at night, and I was just barely hanging in there. I was at the zoo yesterday. So you had to give me a little grace in this. The unity zone. And so that green line up the middle, by the way, the unity zone isn't over the, other, the two right and the left. That's why it's confusing about this. The unity zone is right at the middle. It's where the gospel soleil is. This is where we unite. And we unite at the cross. We unite at Jesus Christ. That is where we unite. And I have a dividing line in there for those of you that uh, need a little help in seeing the difference between green and black. I stuck a, a line in between to say that's actually where we divide. You know, when someone begins to doubt or criticize from the liberal side, the gospel soleil, you know, that we can't have intimate fellowship. It doesn't mean we harm them. It doesn't mean we spit on them. We love them, we serve them, we wash their feet, we appeal to them. But if someone calls himself a brother and attempts to defy the very essence of what saves and to diminish the integrity of the gospel, we have something to do as a Christian. And that is to separate. We cannot hang out in fellowship with those that defy the very essence of where life comes from. We cannot act like, oh, everything's fine. We actually must make a statement in our souls, and even to them, of where we stand. And then we have on the other side, when someone wants to make it about something that is not the center. For instance, there's two ways that typically tongues gets handled, the way it gets handled. You're either of the devil if you speak in tongues, or you're of the devil if you don't speak in tongues. And by the way, both of those options usually lead to division, How about head coverings? You're either of the devil if you wear one, or you're of the devil if you don't. Both of those options lead to controversy. And both of those are not in the gospel soleil. It does not mean a diminishment to either. It means it is not the dividing point. That is not where we divide. Six modern soleils worth embracing. This is how we'll finish. We're going to go through six soleils. So back in the Reformation, they had five. We have six. God's word is in fact, and in truth, God's word. You know that if someone doesn't stand with that, they're not going to enjoy being here. They'll be offended at every turn because we treat the word of God as if it's authoritative and it's right, even if it rebukes us at every turn. The sixty six canonized books of Scripture are of divine origin and bear the very nature of God Almighty. They are pure, holy, unchanging, without lie, and wholly authoritative. What the word of God says goes. When it speaks, the true believer doesn't argue, negotiate, or critique. Rather, he bends his knees, submits, and says, yes, Lord. There is no other book outside the Bible that bears such position, honor, and authority. Kaboom! That's where we stand. And we don't budge from that position. That's central. If you do not have that, what do you have? What are you reasoning from? This person, their Adam opinion over here is just as good as this person's Adam opinion. I don't care about your Adam opinion. I care about God's opinion. What's the opinion of the word of God made flesh, the second man? Jesus is God. Do we have to go that far? Does he have to be God? Can't he just be a good man? He has to be God. If he's not God, the whole scriptures are a farce. The whole notion of it, the entire scripture points to the fact that he's God. As God's word is true, so is God's word made flesh, Jesus Christ. Like the scriptures that testify of him, he too is of divine origin. He is God almighty, revealing the pure, holy, unchanging, guileless, and holy authoritative nature of Jehovah God. There is no other man outside of Jesus that bears such position, honor, and authority. Number three, Jesus is the only way to the Father. You notice how I made that big just to make sure that it was as offensive as possible? Only way? Could you imagine ever getting up and actually saying that in our modern generation? If you don't, we're not giving the gospel soleil. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the only way unto the Father. There's only one way to get to the Father, and that's Jesus. There's only one man that has ever gotten to the Father, and that's Jesus. And unless you're in him, you don't go. Outside of Jesus and his work upon the cross, there is no hope for man to enter into the perfectly righteous domain of God. But in Jesus, a way has been made to access the throne room of grace. That way is Jesus himself. And by faith, a believer is enabled to enter into the person of Christ and thus be clothed by his very righteousness, his atoning, reconciled, redeeming, regenerating work upon the cross. And by faith, a believer is able to share in Christ's death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension. Thus, in Christ, a believer is brought near unto the Father, adopted as a son or daughter of the King, and made to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. There is no other way, outside of Jesus Christ, that any man or woman can approach the throne of grace and be reconciled unto the Father. Number four, faith in Jesus is the only way to access the salvation offered at the cross. Trusting childlike confidence in the work of Jesus upon the cross is the only means by which a sinner can gain access to the saving grace manifest in Christ. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And there is no other means outside of faith that any man or woman may access the grace, the righteousness, the salvation, and the mercies of God. Number five, grace is the only means by which a Christian can live out the triumphant life of Jesus. Without grace... There is no power for a Christian to live as they ought to live. Without grace, there is no power for salvation, no victory over sin in the flesh. For a man or woman in his or her own natural power cannot imitate Jesus' perfect life. They must receive the impartation of Jesus, or grace, in order to live as they ought to live. And there is no other means outside of grace that any man or woman can live righteously as they ought. And finally, number six, the glory of Jesus Christ is our ultimate goal. The Christian must decrease that Christ Jesus might increase. There is only one that saves, Jesus. There is only one that is righteous, Jesus. There is only one that is holy, one that is good, one that is perfect, one that is sinless, and one that has done it. And this one is the focal point, the entire fixation of the Christian life. It is all about him, all for him, and all to him. His glory, his praise, his worship, and his renown is the great end of the man or woman that believes. The cross, the place where you and Adam part ways. That's right. You're supposed to say, adios to Adam. But in the church, we have this funny mixture. Oh, Adam, come on in. Give us counsel. Help us live this life. The cross is where we separate from Adam. That is why it's a gospel soleil. It is not like Adam. It is not Adam's ability to do. We only find our life in Jesus, not in Adam. So the place where you and Adam part ways. The division. If we divide, we divide at the cross. We part ways from Adam, from Adam thinking, Adam living, Adam justifying, Adam righteousness, and Adam foolishness. If we divide, we divide over the person of Jesus Christ. If you look elsewhere than the cross for salvation, or if you turn to someone else other than Jesus to be saved, then we are at odds one with the other. The unity of the body. So instead of just focusing on the division points, which I really don't like to talk about because it gets interpreted incorrectly. I'm not talking about seeking division. I'm talking about someone who is contrary In our midst, that is literally belittling the truth that we are esteeming. There is no other option but to separate. But then there is a lot of opportunity that we can find today to unite. And yet, if we unite, we unite where? At the cross. This is not ecumenicalism, this is Christianity. We unite at the cross. We stand at the cross and we ask listen to this little discussion is this cross where you find salvation too? Is that the man in whom you rest your confidence too? Is this the way for you as well? Is he the summation of all truth for you? Is he the lone source of life for you? Then we are brothers, dear friend. Oh, we may disagree on the color of the wood. I happen to think that it's a mahogany. You have your cypress concept over here. The length of the nails used, it's obvious that they were seven inches, and this guy over here thinks they're five. Whether the nails were driven into his hands or his wrists, can you actually believe that some people think it was driven into his hands? It's obvious that it's the wrist; otherwise it would just pull through his hand. The temperature of the day of execution, it was a balmy 79 degrees, 82% humidity. Someone over here actually thought it was 63 degrees. Come on. His precise height and weight at the hour of his death, obviously six one, 176 pounds. But if we agree on the man and we agree that this man's work on the cross was it, that it was the sola and the sum of the gospel sole, then we, my friend, can walk in union. Do you imagine I might disagree on those? Those were some critical things, don't you agree? I mean, the length of the nails, the, the temperature on the day of execution. I mean, if we don't get these things right, how could we be right with God? There's only one way to be right with God. And that's that man and that cross and if we get distracted on anything else, every single one of us should be able to laugh out loud at our disagreements to say that is ridiculous, isn't it? We're missing Jesus and that cross because of these petty differences. And guess what? I still could be whispering under my breath that nail was five and a half inches. <laughs> However, guess what? I can have genuine fellowship with someone who believes that nail was seven inches long. So someone in here is like, "What? Well, four. It doesn't matter. Is the point? It doesn't matter in light of the truth. Guess what? There is only one measurement to that nail. It wasn't four, five and a half, and seven. It was one of them. But let's not dicker and let's not divide over which one it was. Let's make sure we all get the one thing that we must get right right, and that's the Sole of the Gospel, Father. Somehow, some way, I pray that you would preserve this message from going off the rails. From being misunderstood. And from being anything different than what it actually is. Which is not a message on where to divide or how to divide. Or looking for ways to divide. Or looking for ways to unite unnecessarily. But Lord Jesus, may it be a message that reminds us of what it is that we ought to believe. And how we ought to believe it. And how we ought to live it out. May we be reminded afresh of Jesus and him crucified, of the fact that the only way to find life is in Jesus Christ. It's in the precious name we pray. Amen.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this message by Pastor Eric Lutie, pastor at the Church of Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. Please feel free to make copies of this message, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without express written permission. If you have any questions, comments, or just need more information about Ellerslie, please visit our website at www.ellerslie.com. Again, that website is www.ellerslie.com. For Ellerslie Mission Society, this is Ben Zorns cheering you on as Christ cultivates his set-apart life within you.